Take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1 this evening. Philippians chapter 1, we'll be there in just a moment. And tonight, um, I guess today is, is kind of the day of beginnings as it pertains to series. Tonight we'll begin a new series. And here's the title of the series and the, the sermon tonight is introductory. But, but the title of the series is, Does It Really Matter? Does It Really Matter? Okay, how many of you have ever had someone get uh, frustrated with you over something that doesn't really matter? Okay, so, so I don't know, has, have you ever had someone who really liked some kind of food and they wanted you to try it, okay, because it's so good and they just love this food and man, this is so good and then you try it and you're kind of, eh, you know. Have you ever had somebody get bothered at you because you didn't like what they liked and they're a little bugged, okay? Uh, It could be a a number of different things. Some song that you like and it's just the most wonderful song ever and you, you know, you play it or whatever for somebody else and they're, they're not so excited and they get a little frustrated because you do not share the same passion over what they share. Now, in some more elevated or more serious matters, Um, there are lots of people who have strong opinions about those things that really can rest in the land of opinion. Uh, For example, I joke about this a lot, but you know, about about things that I like. I, I like rhubarb custard pie. It's my favorite. And I think if you don't, then there, you know, you, you have a problem with your palate. Okay. And so it's, it's something that you should have surgery regarding, but I like it. And, and if you don't, then I could say, well, that's just, you know, that's clearly problematic because this is, now people get really into teams that they support. Have you ever had someone, I mean, have you ever watched the news after some major event that took place and watch people break out in fights because their team didn't win or the other, they don't like the other, whatever. I mean, it gets really intense because, you know, so, so can, can there be a right or wrong regarding your preference of teams? Only as it pertains to Michigan and Ohio State. But other than that, other than that, I mean, there's lots of room for variables. You know, I was talking about people who have strong opinions about child rearing. Well, well the Bible talks about raising children. So clearly there are rights and wrongs about this, but there's still a lot of area that that especially with young children and infants and with new parents. And, um, you know, hey, we read this book and so how do you, um, how are you doing with schedule with your child? And well, we, we kind of do this, oh, you know. And now that's problematic. And what do you do with, um, with feeding your child? Oh, you know. And sometimes they can say, well, we think that, you know, we read this and we're doing this and we really think that. And sometimes it can get awkward or uncomfortable and, and just sometimes flat out unkind because you are not sharing the same conclusion. And you might even walk away saying, seriously, does it really matter? So does it really matter? The challenge that, that we face is knowing what does matter and what does not. Or maybe, you know, does it all matter? Or, or who gets to decide what matters and what doesn't matter? And then if it does matter, who gets to decide who gets to decide what matters? 
I mean, we could, we could start to ask these questions about what is it that ultimately I should be concerned about or that matters to me but doesn't have to matter to them and what is it that should universally matter to us all? And that is oftentimes not very easy to discern. Clearly, we need wisdom and knowledge and some good discernment. So does it really matter? Again, are there things that matter today that didn't matter in yesteryear? Are there things that may matter tomorrow that didn't necessarily matter today? And do those things have some collective uh, understanding of this should matter to all of us? If we started to boil down a little bit or drill down and say, okay, what, is the, what are the kinds of things that we're talking about? Well, does it matter what we wear? Does what we wear matter? Does what I listen to matter? Does what I choose for entertainment, I mean, seriously, does it really matter? What kind of language that I use? Is language something that is amoral, that really it only has something that you ascribe to it and therefore it doesn't really matter? Does language really matter? How I identify, how others identify as it pertains to gender. So let's just ask the question, does that really matter? Or should that be left to the, the conclusion of the individual? And who are we to answer the question of gender for another? Does it really matter who I marry if we are genuinely, truly in love. And to take that another step further, because we used to answer that question of, does it really matter who I marry if they are saved or not? Now in our culture today, that really is almost a secondary question. Does it matter if two men marry each other or does it matter if two women who love each other marry does it matter and who are we are we just at the height of presumption to conclude that we get to say to someone else that that really does matter we could go on with the list but but the 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 point we're trying to make is are there conclusions that we should draw on the question does it really matter if I am the center of my own universe or a universe of my own making then the answer to the question does it matter could be answered only as it pertains to me because if I'm the center of my universe then I get to answer the question does it matter however I choose to answer. We see people who have done that kind of response to does it really matter throughout history. In fact, if we went all the way back to the beginning of recorded history, we would understand that, that God has always existed. He's always existed. So we sometimes sing from age to age the same. 
We speak of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever. From everlasting to everlasting. That means from vanishing point to vanishing point. He is God. So God is the great cause. And he brought about the great effect. And then God created. And then we understand that there is one who said, I will be like the most high. And he starts to go on with these I wills. This is what I will do. I'm going to be like God. In fact, my throne, I'm going to establish above the throne of almighty God. I'm going to try to create or at least act like I have created a new universe. So Lucifer says, I'm the new center. There was another that followed that same pattern. Another that that was given the instruction by God regarding how to function in life, what to do and what not to do. Always with God, always there is some beginning with a negative. And I know we don't like that, but there is this great negative that begins. Okay, in a sense we could say, well, well, it did include this wonderful positive, true, but God inserts this powerful negative. He says, okay, let's start with the positive. Here's the garden, enjoy. Well, that's wonderful. Hey, I've created all of this for your pleasure. Don't be restrained, just enjoy. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For the day wherein thou touchest it, thou shalt surely die. That means some separation is going to happen if you disobey. Well, what does Eve then do? Eve comes in again and and she says, I'm going to be the master of my own fate. The captain, so to speak, of, of my own will. And now Eve decides that she is the center. And again, like Lucifer, so with Eve, the results are catastrophic. Well, you and I, we, we kind of continue to follow these patterns of who gets to be the center of the universe. Your Bibles are open right now to Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. This is a summary passage of scripture or a summary verse. And we're going to use it for our theme verse through the course of this series, Does It Really Matter? Philippians chapter 1 verse number 9 says this. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Hey, let's do this this evening since this is our first night with this series and this is our theme verse. Let's go ahead now and read the verse together. So it's Philippians chapter 1 verse number 9. Put your eyes on it. If you don't have a Bible handy, maybe you could share with the person next to you. But let's read it. I'll say the reference. You jump right in with the first words and this I pray. Philippians 1.9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Okay, unfortunately, true Christianity doesn't do this, but sometimes our interpretation of it does. Unfortunately, the way we have oftentimes practiced Christianity is in violation to what we just read in Philippians 1.9. Okay, in this passage, we, we begin with, and this I pray, this is the apostle's desire for the church at Philippi. My prayer is this, that your love may abound. We get this idea of of this overflow of love. 
Now that's wonderful because we, we like these conversations that speak of Christianity and love. And that's appropriate, it's right. J- Jesus presents himself as, as God is love. Uh, for God so loved. Beloved, let us love one another. We like that theme and it's an important theme of Christianity. But many times, have you ever found that love and knowledge and judgment don't seem to all go together. Have you ever seen someone that has this knowledge and once they start to get this knowledge of what Christianity looks like, their love flies out the window because they know something and you're not doing what they know. And and so we, we seem to get this spirit of anything but love They're they're the ones who are dwelling in knowledge. The Bible says that knowledge left alone, knowledge in and of itself. I mean, we're supposed to know the word, study to show yourself approved unto God, that we may grow in knowledge. So knowledge is not the problem, but the Bible says that knowledge by itself puffeth up. Have you ever met an arrogant, knowledgeable Christian that seems to look down their nose at everyone who doesn't have the knowledge that they have? So now we we seem to be like, well, yeah, man, I see that all the time. Well, that's that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, hey, you figure it out and then you just better make sure that you're the knowledge police. And you go just uh, investigating everyone else's knowledge and make sure that they get it because you've got it. Well, Well, we might sense that spirit, but that's not what the Apostle Paul is promoting at the Church of Philippi. So he, he says, okay, I'm praying. He says, he starts with this. I'm praying that your love may abound, but your love is not to be void of knowledge. This word knowledge that's used in this passage of scripture, it means something that's correct. Okay, so knowledge. We're not just talking about knowledge about some topic or subject, but how can I be correct about this? If you, if you take it a little bit further, it actually communicates the idea of precision. Precision. Like, whoa, now you're saying that a person can have knowledge that, that ooh, I understand this issue that's before me. And at times it can be rather complex. Like this is not just a, a surface issue. There are some nuances to this or there are some, some levels to this that I want to grasp and, and lay hold of and understand, appropriate for myself. But he starts with love. Man, have this overflow of love, but don't think that that love is supposed to exist outside of knowledge. Know the issue that's before you. But, but overflow it, wrap it up in love. And then he takes it another step further to a word that we're a little sensitive to. Um, okay, how many, how many, don't raise your hand, but I mean, how often do we hear the phrase, don't judge me? Oh, you're so judgmental. Don't judge me. Okay. And then we even say, hey, this is a no judgment zone. That's not true. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, no judgment zone. Have you ever told someone that you like something because it's a no judgment zone, but in your mind you're saying that, okay, you're shopping. Ladies, you're out shopping. Guys don't normally like, oh, that's so nice. That's you. Okay, so they're not normally doing that. But you're out shopping and you're holding things. What do you think about this? Oh, do you like it? I love it. I love it too. But inside you're thinking, that does not work, okay? <laughs> but, 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 but we're in this no judgment zone. No judging here, no judging. Do you know we judge all the time? 
And what does this word judgment here mean? It means discernment. It means the ability to separate. Okay, so, so how do I judge this? What has to be set over here? What has to be set over here? How do I put this issue in ways that I can actually understand? And it's not just this, hey, no judgment here. No, there is supposed to be judgment. Okay, this is a reminder. And I think we, we have a general understanding of this. But please don't miss it, okay? Because you don't leave here saying, oh, Pastor Redland said we're supposed to judge. Okay, I'm supposed to discern. Be able to separate. Right, wrong, true, false, um, godly, ungodly. I'm supposed to be able to discern, separate. What does the Bible not mean when it comes to judgment? Do you remember when Samuel goes to see um, um, Jesse and his eight sons pass before him? And he sees the first one and he's tall, he's handsome and, and God's rejected Saul, but he sees the firstborn and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And then the, the response is, no, that's not the one. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the, what's the next word? Heart. Have you ever used that before with, oh, don't judge me. Um, God sees my heart. True. But what's the only thing that man gets to see? The outward appearance. Okay, so be careful. to Don't throw out the outward appearance. In fact, the Bible there is not saying that the outward appearance doesn't matter. It's just saying that you, as a human, as a person, you don't actually get to see what only God gets to see. Okay, so what don't you get to judge? You don't get to judge a person's motive. A person's motive the, the fact of the matter is we just don't know. And you know, one of the most offensive things that you can do regarding judgment is to say, I know why you did that. Well, the fact of the matter is we don't. There's a lot of teachers in this room right now, a lot of people who teach. If you're a teacher, I promise, if you've taught for more than a month, I promise this has happened to you. How many of you teachers have ever seen a student in your classroom and you see that student and they're sitting down and they are bothered and just bugged at life. And so they're sitting down and they're bugged, you know, they're, they're looking, they got a scowl on their face. And, and you think as a teacher, what is their deal? Don't they know they're in my class? Don't they know this is the fountain of truth? Okay. <laughs> Don't they understand what they're getting? And they're sitting there and, and, and you assume they have a problem with me. And if they have a problem with me, I have a problem with them, okay? Okay, teachers, how many of you have ever had that kind of scenario unfold? And then afterwards, a student comes up and says, hey, I'm sorry I was out of it today in class, but let me tell you what's going on. And then you have the light bulb moment, like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. Maybe you have a roommate, maybe you have a spouse, and you're wondering, like, what in the world's going on with them? And then the story starts to unfold, and it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. I, I thought you were mad at me or, or whatever. Do you know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates that we just don't know what's going on inside a person. So what don't you get to judge? Don't judge another person's motive because we, we flat out just don't know. Here's what you should judge. Can you have a, so to speak, judgment zone for people's actions? And the answer is absolutely. 
You know, this, this word judgment again, it just means the ability to separate. Um, how can you say if, if, if it pertains to some matter that God has spoken about directly, how can we say, well, who am I to judge? Well, well, you're exactly the person that should be able to discern that was wrong. Oh, can we actually say that that was wrong? Or is that just too offensive to say? No, I think that our love's supposed to abound more and more. Supposed to overflow. Does the fact that I have love mean that I can't actually judge and discern? And I can't tell anybody that they do wrong. No, what the Bible is saying is these things all can coexist. Now, if you ever isolate one of those things and just remove it, then we've got a problem. Like, well, I just focus on love. But knowledge and discernment, I'm, I'm not so big on those. No, 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 no. Your love is supposed to abound with knowledge and with discernment. So I'm supposed to have this abounding love and knowledge. Like, hey, I understand. I am, I am discerning. I am carefully investigating. I mean, I'm putting the microscope on this thing. I can figure it out. The nuance, the challenge, the, the, the unique day, the culture. I should be able to understand all these things. And then judge. I'm going to love and judge. But if all you have is knowledge, you're puffed up. If all you have is judgment, oh man, you're just going around judging, judging, judging. And I dare say it's probably going to flow over into motives. So what do we do? Well, we're, we're supposed to wrap these all up and bind them together. Love, knowledge, judgment, discernment. Okay, so, so remember, we're not talking about those things that can and should change. For example, family curfews or or, what, you know, what do they tell their kids? You have to do this, or you have to do that. Family rules. This is just for our family. It's part of what we do. Even institutional rules. Institutions can have rules. Churches can have rules. You can, you can agree with them or disagree with them. But we're really not talking about just those things that are for the benefit of the individual family. We're talking about something that is bigger than that. In fact, we might use the expression, those things that are are true for all people, all places, and all times. We're not talking about something that originates or is allowed to originate within you. Anything that is allowed to originate within you, and that would be things like your preferences. Listen, is there a place for preferential music, yes or no? How many of you have some songs, we'll just leave it in, in church, okay, for the sake of illustration. How many of you have some songs that you like and you sing better because you like the song more than other songs? For example, tonight it was interesting to listen to you sing. You know, if you start to think through, um, it's just like his great love. We started with that tonight, just out of curiosity. And then we sang, oh, wondrous love that will not let me go. I cling to you. Okay, so let me ask you this. How many of you like Oh Wondrous Love better than It's Just Like His Great Love? How many of you like Oh Wondrous Love better? How many of you like It's Just Like His Great Love better? Wow. Division in the church. <laughs> Is it okay for people to have preferences regarding music? Yes or no? Okay. This is not the message tonight. We'll, tr we'll, we'll try to address this more thoroughly, give some principles and help. But, but do we get to have preferences about any kind of music or language or entertainment? 
This is where we have to start developing knowledge, discernment, and wrap it up with abounding love. We have to have something foundationally that, that, that steadies us because we're gonna, get, we're gonna get knocked all over the place by culture, by our own nature, by our own sinfulness. We're gonna get pounded on all sides. We have to have something that is our basis that in a sense rights us when we start to fall. There used to be a little toy called a weeble and this was from way back in the day. They were just these little things. And the tagline, some of you old timers are going, I remember the weebles, okay? And the tagline was, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, okay? And then they also, I think they still make these, but I can remember getting these for Christmas. And they were a lot of fun. You know, I'm probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old. And um, you would blow them up. And they were these little, little, like usually they were a clown or something like that. And they had a sand base. And then you would blow it up and they were like these little punching things, you know. And so, you know, you'd get up there and bam, and you're, you're punching away at this thing that you blew up. It's about, you know, it's as tall as you are as a seven-year-old. And you'd hit that thing as hard as you could and you'd send it across the room and it'd just go flying. And then, and then it would just like, all of a sudden it would come back up again. So no matter how hard you hit it, it, it would right itself. What is it that, that truth truth, knowledge, discernment. What is it that those things provide for us? Well, they provide for us something that helps right us, keep us upright, even when we get knocked and, and sometimes knocked silly, senseless. Like, okay, how do, I, how do I come back or recover from this? How do we begin to even equip ourselves to hold on to truth and not let go of those things that matter and let go of those things that really don't matter? How do we do that? There's a place in the suburbs of Paris and it's called the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. Um, I checked their, their website and they have a statement as to why they exist. Here's what it says. It's an international organization founded to bring about the unification of measurement systems to establish and preserve fundamental international standards and prototypes to verify national standards and to determine fundamental physical constants. By the way, this, this, even their statement flies in the face of culture today. Because who can tell someone, who can tell a child that two plus two really equals four when, when it's supposed to be able to equal anything that their little soul desires? The International Bureau of Weights and Measures, here's why it was established. To bring unity internationally to how much does a, a pound weigh? Or, or what consists, what does a leader really consist of? Uh, how long is a yard or a meter or a foot? Okay, what, what really is an inch? And so at the International Bureau of Weights and Measures, if you want to know what does this, what constitutes this unit of measure, well, you go there because they're the, in a sense, the keepers of the original. So if you really want to know, okay, how long is this or how much does this weigh? If you really wanted to know, okay, let's check it out at the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. Because they have the original. 
Okay, if I want to know, God, I need knowledge. I need to know, is, is, this, is this right? How do I know? How do I even know what is truth? Good question, Pilate. What is truth? It might be a better question to ask who. And if I get to know the who of truth, then, then I'm going to be introduced to love in its purest form. I'm going to be introduced to knowledge that is irrefutable. I'm going to learn discernment. I mean truth that, that cuts to, in a sense, the very morrow, the discerner of the thoughts and intents, even of the heart. I'm going to start to really understand how do I separate the complexities of this life? Well, I got to go to the source, go to the original. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number four, the Bible says he, this is God. And then then we capitalize this, this next word. He is the capital R. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Okay, I don't know what to do about this. Lord, what do I do about this thing about marriage? How do I I sort through this thing regarding gender? Lord, fashions change all the time. How do I understand, how do you live modestly in, in 2022? And does modesty even really matter today? And if it does, does it really matter to me? Does it really, to borrow our our subject, does it really matter? If it matters to the source, the one whose image we bear, isn't it supposed to matter to people like you and me? Aren't we supposed to be able to come to whatever issue it is that we're facing in the day in which we live and be able to come to some conclusions that are solid conclusions. In a sense, there's some stability, some basis. I I might get pounded and I might get knocked, but there's something that's going to right itself again. The nature and character of God, these are what become our standard, our measure We understand justice because God is just. We understand purity because God is pure and completely removed from sin. It's it's why morality is right and immorality is wrong. Only because of God's definition of himself, his nature, his character, purity. We understand that, that telling the truth is right We understand that telling a lie is wrong. What makes it right and what makes it wrong? Because of the nature and character of God. Because God is truth. And and he's not a man that he should lie. We understand so many things about, about what is it that I'm supposed to hold to and what is it that I'm supposed to reject? What am I supposed to reflect and what is it that I hope I am not reflecting? Because of the nature and the character of God. Too many of us have stopped measuring ourselves against the original. 
And we're using a false standard, a false measurement. Can you imagine trying to build a house or, or do, you know, to, to do some kind of construction, but you came up with your own standard of how, how long a foot really is. And you go to Home Depot or wherever to, to buy your two by fours, but you come up with your own standard of how long a foot is. How, how wide an inch is. And so when you are asking for a two by four, you're coming up with a completely different standard than what the standard two by four is. How's your house going to turn out if everybody's using this different standard? We get it in some very practical ways like that, but, but for some reason, we start to scratch our head when we say, so, so I don't get to decide what, what, what modesty is. Who is it that... that Forgive again the, the, the intrusion into some future topics. But who is it that first clothed man and, man and woman? Who is it that first gives this understanding of covering? Well, it's God. So does God have an opinion about what modesty may actually look like? And does it really matter? Only if we answer who gets to decide. All of us tonight are in one of three categories. All of us. And, and we start to understand what are the categories. In fact, as we close, take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians and look at chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, and then we'll look at the beginning of chapter 3. So every person in here tonight, every person watching by way of live stream, all of us together tonight, <clears throat> we exist in one of these three categories. Now, my prayer is that, that you are not in what we'll refer to as the, the first category. And, and that's what scripture refers to as, I'll use the scriptural definition, the natural man. The natural man. Okay, look at what the Bible says. Your Bibles are open. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look down at verse number 14. But the natural man, if you write in the margin of your Bible, you could write the unsaved person. The, the person who's lost. This, this is an unsafe, the natural man. That's how you were born. I mean, th this is how you, you were born into this world, the, the natural person. You're, you're, you were not the spiritual person. You weren't reborn. You didn't have this, this second birth. You, you were just born. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. The natural man. But the natural man, the Bible says, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There's, a, there's our word again. They're spiritually separated. Okay, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why can't he understand those things? Well, they're foolishness unto him. Have you ever met a lost person that looks at you and the way you live your life, and it's like jaw drop moment, like seriously? You do that? Why in the world would you do that? Because they just don't get it. They're, that's the natural person. They, they look at the life of a Christian and they scratch their head and they say, that, that is foolishness to me. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he. Why can't he understand those things? Because they are spiritually understood. They're spiritually discerned. But it goes on past that. He said, but then verse number 15, but he that is spiritual, ooh, look at here, here's this word again. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Well, the spiritual man, what does this person do? He judges. Not your motive. The spiritual man can say, okay, right, wrong. 
truth, error, yes, no. The spiritual man judges all things. Okay, so, so far we've met two groups of people. The natural man, the unsaved man, he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's foolishness, and he can't understand them because they can only be understood spiritually. The spiritual man, wow, he judges all things. He, he discerns, yes, no, right, wrong. Okay, there's another group that's mentioned. Look at the beginning of the next chapter, uh, chapter uh, 3, verse number 1. And I, brethren, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet, here's that person again, ye are yet carnal. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, aren't you, you're like a baby in Christ. I had to feed you like, okay, here you go. Here's your little, oh, that's yummy. He said, I had to feed you with the bottle instead of things that you should be chewing on. I fed you with milk and not with meat. Why? Well, because you're carnal and walk as men. He's saying you're walking as the natural man. You're living like what you have been saved from. So all of us are in one of those three categories. Maybe you're here and you're not saved. Well, wow, the the invitation for you is to come to Christ. To fulfill the reason for which you were actually created. To To find that there is one who brings satisfaction in ways, victory through your loss. Fillness through your own depletion. The one who answers these, these grand questions of life. He's like the, the missing puzzle piece. And, and, and the way to life and life more abundant. If you've never trusted Christ, it, it, is, it is not God's problem, not his fault. He's inviting you personally to come to him. He already made the ultimate payment for your redemption. We sometimes use the expression, the propitiation that he's provided. It means that that God the just was fully satisfied. It means that nothing else is necessary. Everything's been done. If you're not saved, Why not? Okay, so, so some of you, you're not yet saved and you're invited to be. Some are, are living like an infant. And man, there's so many things that characteristics of infancy. Infants are a lot of work. I mean, life has to rotate around them. They have to be coddled. They cause a lot of problems. They, they are noisy. I mean, they, they assert themselves. If they don't get what they want, and sometimes it's, a, it's an on-the-ground implosion. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? He says, you're, you're living like an infant. And you know, sometimes when it comes to does it really matter, there are Christians who are acting like infants trying to make something matter that doesn't really matter. Hey, come on, now that doesn't really matter. Well, it matters to me, that's fine. 
But does that really matter? And then sometimes there are those who say, hey, it doesn't matter. And, and they're living as infants. Because it really does matter. But, but they still have to, in a sense, be, be fed with the milk and not the meat. And our desire, the goal for all of us, should be to, to be that spiritual person. That person who discerns. That person who abounds in love. Not void of knowledge. And filled with good judgment. Godly discernment. My prayer is, our prayer is Philippians 1.9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment.